Good morning. Uh, my name is Erica. I'm the worship director here, as you can tell. Uh, and the scripture passage this morning comes from Luke chapter 16, verses 1 through 9 and verse 13. So hear the word of the Lord. Jesus told his disciples, there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management, because you cannot be manager any longer. The manager said to himself, What shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I am not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do, so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called in each one of his master's debtors. He asked the first, How much do you owe my master? 900 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it 450. Then he asked the second, and how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bill and make it 800. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves, so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. May God's word shape us and form us. I know what you're thinking. All right, here comes the money sermon. Um, no, it's not going to be that bad. When you hear the word or read the word in scripture, king and kingdom of heaven or master, sometimes it's hard to connect because, I mean, the day of kings and kingdoms are long gone and master is kind of a loaded and we just don't have masters anymore. We shouldn't have masters anymore. And uh, so I, I like to think about the word host. God is the great host. God is the great host that has invited all of his children, all of his people to a banquet or to a room, to a great party. And because he's good and because he's benevolent and because he's rich and got, has good things and he, makes, he likes to eat, right? Everyone is smiling. Everyone is happy. Everyone has enough. And God enjoys a multiplicitous uh, variety of food, right? From kimchi and rice, right? To chicken, to tortillas, right? He knows what people like and desire. He knows the carbohydrates that each of us really, really cling to and the sweets and the candy that we like. And so God is the ultimate host. And when Jesus tells parables, we are in a series on Jesus's parables and the series is entitled stories that give life stories that give life when Jesus tells us parables he's comparing these stories and these parables to what the kingdom of heaven is like as it says in the Gospels what he's saying is this is what this party is like this is what it means to live in the household of the great host this is what it means to come to the banquet of the living God it means this, and then story, parable, 
And the reason why he tells these stories is because he's come to a world that's broken and hurting and the poor are crying out and people are starving to be fed. And he's saying, there's a different way, right? How many Lord of the Rings fans are there out there? Yeah. Well, if you watch the Fellowship of the Ring, there's this scene right before the, the band kind of comes together and starts their journey. The dwarf and the elves are start arguing. Everyone starts arguing, right? And Gandalf is there, and they're arguing, no, 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 you, you, no, you dwarf, you shorty, you elf, you pointed ear elf. And they're yelling and arguing because there's all this, there's power struggle, there's this tension. And then all of a sudden, the scene pauses because the hobbit, the loneliest of all the races, with his furry feet, and he's about three foot tall, says, I will take the ring, though I do not know the way. And all the yelling and the arguing just stops. And everyone turns. And there's something clicks, right? The paradigm shifts. Because there's something very unassuming about the hobbit and their peaceful life and the way that they enjoy food. There's nothing uh, about power, right? There's nothing that's seeking to steal or rob or gain for himself. He's just a humble hobbit. And this is what I see when I read the parables, is Jesus saying, here's a way, right, that we can go. And everyone stops. And all the crying and the weeping and the arguing and the infighting stops. And, and people are like, something about that calls out to me. Are you with me, church? Something calls out to me. That's the way things ought to be. When I chose this passage, I wanted to, we've been talking about the parables, and for each parable, we've been ta- uh, we give a title of radical, like last week was the Good Samaritan, so we said radical neighborliness. I don't even know if that's a word. And this week is radical giving. And I think I was thinking about a different parable about money when I entitled this, when I chose this, and so I'm like, uh-oh, I picked the hard one. And so this is a very difficult passage. And if you go through, you know, I went through commentaries and read at different people, and basically the bottom line is no one agrees, right? No one agrees. And the reason why this parable is difficult is because you wonder what really is Jesus saying? Is Jesus saying, you need to be like this dishonest servant, right? You need to cheat and use money to win friends for yourself so you can save yourself Right? And, make, and be welcomed into the homes of many people. Is Jesus calling us to be dishonest? The means justify the ends, or the ends justify the means. You can do whatever you want as long as you're winning people over to me. Lie, steal, cheat, use money, use greed, and uh, the word is unjust money, to win people over. No matter what the cost. Is that what Jesus is saying? And other people are saying, no, because look at all of the teaching in the Gospel of Luke on money. When Jesus talks about money, he's clearly siding on the side of the poor and really challenging the rich, the people who have money. Right? And even at the end of this passage, he says you cannot serve God and money together. So why would Jesus go against his very character, it seems like, of being loving and compassionate 
right? And having, you would think Jesus has integrity and say, be like this dishonest servant. So some people say, maybe he's saying, don't be like this dishonest servant who's only looking out for himself, even, even the people of the world who don't know the God or don't, don't have the light, try to make friends or try to you know, help people, you know, give them, scratch their back in order to save themselves, right? But don't be like that. Instead, God has a heart for the poor, so give without asking, right? Spend your, spend your money to the, with the, or give your money to the poor without expecting anything in return, without expecting yourself to save face, to save your position, etc., etc. So do you see the complexity? And I'm here to say that I don't have an answer. Like, I don't know. But I'm going to give a shot. I'm going to paint one picture, and we'll see how that goes. But um, so I play ultimate frisbee uh, on a club team, and lately, a month ago, I strained my hamstring, my left hamstring, and it's been really hard for me to run because those kind of injuries linger, and they linger. But I, me being 42 and kind of still in an extended midlife crisis, still want to be competitive, still want to run, still don't want to be benched. Counter to my wife's, you know, pleading with me, just rest it. Everyone on my team is like, just rest it. You're going to make it worse. I keep trying to come back each week and play and play and still sprint as fast as I can. And each week, I think I'm ready to go and someone throws the disc and I'm, you know, I'm battling someone to get there. And I do that extra extension, like just turn on the afterburners and then I feel this in my, in my thing, and it, it messes up my hamstring again. So that's gone on for a month, uh, or that got, went on for a month. The last couple of weeks, I found my legs again, and I, I can actually run. And so, um, but I think something that's been going on inside of me um, as I've been dealing with this hamstring is, man, I don't know how to slow down. Like, a lot of times God uses things to, like, teach you, right? If you don't know how to slow down, he'll bench you, right? If you struggle with pride, he'll humble you, right? Things like that. And I think God was, has been telling me, stop. Listen to the people around you. Listen to your body. Slow down. Slow down. And there's something deep in my core that's like, I don't want to slow down. I want to prove myself. I want to do this. I want to compete. I'm not too old to go against these 20-year-olds, right? I want to push it, push it, push it, push it. But as I'm injured and like lost like five steps, this kind of anger or frustration has come up. Like I've, I don't have control of this situation and I'm not where I want to be and it's frustrating. And so, okay, I'm going to make a confession. This doesn't go out of this room, but... Uh, when I get competitive and I'm feeling like insecure, I get kind of mean. I'm not a pastor, right? I'm not the nice pastor. And so ultimate is ruled by this thing called spirit of the game. It's a hippie sport. It started off as a hippie sport. There's no refs. So they uh, use what's called the spirit of the game. No refs. So you, if you call a foul, you honor it. You can say, I contest that foul, but that, it's over. You, they foul, you contest, or you don't contest. 
and the play moves on. There's no arguing. It's a non-contact sport. Don't make dangerous plays. And so a couple of times, people called fouls on me. And um, I'm, a, I'm the team captain, so you have to like set the example, be beyond reproach. And one guy grabbed my shoulders and like, you need to move back, a foul was called. And he pushed me. Like, he was being sarcastic, but he pushed me back. And so I just pushed him and like, why are you pushing me? Right? And my teammates are like, calm down, spirit of the game. They're going to make bad. And I was like, no, just because I'm a pastor doesn't mean I don't have to have fire. I'm the, I'm the angry pastor, right? Have you seen the movie The Apostle? So I'm like, pushing him. And people are like, calm down, calm down. And then afterwards, I just like felt so much shame. Like, what kind of example did I set, right? Even the most immature of people on our team take, can follow, can have, be good sports just by following this spirit of the game, right? But me, the supposed spiritual leader, this pastor, who has the love of God in my heart, right? I'm glowing with holiness, apparently. I can't even exhibit self-control, right? Even, even a normal person can have, be a good sport just because of this thing called the spirit of the game. But I wrestled with that in this moment. And I really struggled with that so the next, so last week I did better, but yesterday it happened again, right? Uh, and I kind of blew up and I'm like, what is going on with me? And um, so I'm still in the middle of that. But the reason that I share that is because living out the parables as Jesus was teaching them means being witnesses to the host means being witnesses of the good king. And what do we know about the king? What do we know about God? What do we know about the master? That he's generous, that he gives out of a sense of abundance, that he has a rich storehouse of resources and goods, that he has a heart for the poor, that even Luke 15, the chapter before this, Actually, I won't get too into it because Claire's going to be talking about it later in the month. You know, the son squanders all of his father's wealth, right? And still the father takes him back, right? And runs to him, actually. This graciousness. And so in this parable, we can assume that the rich man, right? The master is the father, right? There's no... There's no sense of like this rich man is evil or this rich man is good. You don't, you don't know about the rich man. But I, I'm pretending like this rich man is actually is God. So generous, loves the poor. Right? And he hears, just like the father in Luke 15, of his, of his employee, his steward, his accountant, his CPA, has been messing with his money, has been squandering it. I don't know what he's doing. Maybe he's taking trips, right? You know, instead of cheap hotels, he's going to Hawaii and getting expensive hotels. 
or he's using it to buy, give, uh, buy himself homes and houses and cars and whatnot. And so he's been squandering the money. Finally, this, the rich man hears of this and comes. Like any boss, any, any man with money, he hears of this and he's like, I got to deal with this. So he confronts his CPA. He confronts his accountant, sits down, closes the door. Hey, we need to talk. I hear you've not been faithful. You've been misusing my funds, my money. You know, I'm going to fire you. And so the, C- the accountant hears this and he's like, oh, I'm fired. Right? And he's like, I'm too weak and I'm, I've never done manual labor in my life. So I can't dig holes and I don't want to beg. I'm too proud to beg. What am I going to do? And what I see what he does, which is even more dishonest, is that he uses the rich man's debts, the loans that he's given out to people, he uses that to gain favor for himself, right? If I gain favor with people, at least they'll welcome me in, in their homes. Right? So imagine this rich man has a lot of like short-term loans out there. Um, he's, got, he's given people, uh, lent them to buy their homes, their small business loans. He's like a bank, right? And so this accountant goes, hey, what do you owe my master? Well, he helped me buy my house, right? 300 grand. 300 grand. Uh, actually, it was in Seattle, so 700 grand. He helped me buy my house, right? One bedroom, one bathroom, 700 grand. <laughs> and, he's, and he's like, okay, sit down. You only have to pay back 200 grand. Can you give it now? Great. 200 grand, you're good. What are you feeling? You're like, whoa, thanks, man. That's awesome, I love you, right? Hey, anytime you need a favor, call me up, right? I'll, I'll hook you up, because you're hooking me up. And also, they're probably thinking, whoa, you're representing your master? He, would, he really would do that? That guy is awesome. He, he's a baller. He's the mayor, I love him, right? I really love him. And they're like, yes! And so he goes on to the next person, to the next person. What's your debt? Oh, he, you know, I owe him this much. Oh, I'll pay up this much. Yes, thank you so much. I needed that. The next person, pay up this much. Awesome, I'm free. I'm free. I can do the things that I wanted to do. You're, tell your boss, he's awesome. And you're, you're an awesome manager. And you know what? I've got a vacation house over there. If you ever want to stay, there, please just let me know and you can stay there, right? So this manager is winning over friends by using the supposed grace of the rich man that he, was, he hadn't been given permission to give, right, to win it over. So he's still using the rich man's money, right? Not as he should, but for his own gain, for his own, so he can save face. So he can not have to dig or have to beg for money after he, he's unemployed. Right? But what is the response of the rich man? The response of the rich man is he commends the manager. He says, good job. 
really, really good job. And you're like, what? What? The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are people of the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself so that when it's gone, you will be welcomed into internal dwellings. And I sat reflecting as I was preparing this, like, why is the master commending this guy? Why doesn't he get even more angry? Why is he commending? Is he commending him because he was never going to get people to pay him back anyways, and at least the manager got him partial payment, right, cash on hand? Was, is that it? Is that why the manager was smart and made the master happy? Maybe. Or is it because he was walking down the street one day, and one of the guys who owed money that was just forgiven said, dude, thank you so much. You saved my life. You are the man. Thank you so much. Is it, is it something like that? That the renown and the reputation of the master was lifted up because of the actions of the servant, even though it was dishonest. Right? Or maybe we're not told this. Maybe the master is one of those generous people in the first place. We don't know what he's done with his money, right? Maybe this master is, is a benefactor by nature. He's a generous person. He's always giving and giving and giving. That's what he does. He's like uh, Ebenezer after the ghost visits him, right? He's like, hey, here, Merry Christmas, Tiny Tim here. Here's some money, here's things. Just very generous and giving. And the servant has just lived out his vision for how his money should go. Even though the servant was just looking out for himself, he was being generous. Right? And so the master's like, I commend you. Right? You're using the money the way I want you to use it. Right? To bless people. And you're not using it for yourself and cheating me along the way. And even though you are still cheating me, you're doing what the money should be used for. That's a way to look at it. I like that way because if God is the rich man, right? We, in the way that we use money, right? As we're living out the parable in our lives, we give witness to who God is. Amen? Amen. Right? We are giving witness to who God is. And in our giving generously and radically to people, forgiving them, that's what's happening in this passage, is there's a radical forgiveness of debt. Right? I always wish someday that the government will forgive all student loan debt. Right? That would be an economic boon. I would spend money after that. Right? Right? It would be a a boost to the economy, right? Especially technology and computer stuff. (laughs) If all of my student loans were forgiven, right? The master is generous. And as we live generously, right? Giving and giving, then 
we give witness to the generosity and grace of the master. Does that make sense? And, and we need to reflect. And what Jesus is saying is, even this dishonest manager, he's just looking to save his own butt. Even the, the meanest person on your ultimate team is better than you, right? Because they won't start a fight because they're spirit of the game. And you, a pastor, a person of the light, is starting fights left and right. What's wrong with you? What would it look like if you actually lived out my grace and love and peace that I've bestowed in you out to other people and actually were witness to that in the way in everything you do, not just preaching or being nice to church people, hey, I love you, love you, but when you're stressed or when you're competing or when there's like Seattle traffic and someone cuts you off and you just want to like, ah! I'm just being real healthy here, people. What if in that place you reflected the mercy, love, patience, and generosity of God? What if when you are worried about where your paycheck's coming from, about paying off your debt, about um, not having enough money as the cost of living increases in this town, you still give sacrificially to win people over to God. What if you still did that? You gave even when it hurt. What would it look like? What kind of hosts would we be? This morning, I was getting very frustrated. <laughs> More sharing time. Maybe I need uh, counseling. <laughs> but uh, if the connection cards, like I put a lot of time into those connection cards, and it's like, and I, I mentioned it was like 25 cents for whatever, uh, for a color copy, <clears throat> and then top them up. And, uh, and every week, we don't get many connection cards back in the last like maybe one or two each week, but not like 10 or 15, because in all the rows, they're all missing every week, or there's crumpled ones, or people have like doodled on them, um, like in the back. So I'm like, what the heck? I'm gonna go email the other churches, like your people cannot touch those connection cards. They're Renew connection cards. Can't you see Renew's logo? I'm like getting connection cards from random people. I'm like, what, what? That's not our church. And I'm getting like tight. Right? Because, man, I'm a penny pincher. Like, go write on something else. Not these connections. Right? Look how beautiful they are. The logo, the coloring. I put so much work. You know? But what if we were hosts like the great hosts? Right? I think our lives would be renewed and we would build communities of life around us. Right? Not communities of stinginess, but communities of life. Where we're welcoming people <coughs> in, and we're being generous, and we're winning people over to Jesus and God because of our generosity. Right? And being open hosts. On Thanksgiving, there's only two legs. Your brother took one leg, and you want that other leg. And then there's that guest, your guest, and he like wants that dark meat. 
And we, uh, this community garden out here, we have uh, 14 plots out here on this land. I mean, the land out there is amazing. And there's 14 plots that have been set up for uh, community garden. And we want to kind of build off of that and invite the neighborhood in. And I think we've taken, uh, given away like 10, 10 of the 14 already from people who have responded to like buy nothing to flyers out there um, on social media, just in the community, people being interested in this. And, uh, and like, as we've been dreaming as a church, we're like, man, look at all these houses and apartments going up around us, right? What do those apartments not have? Grass, right? And they all have dogs, right? They all have dogs, so we're trying to walk them. Like, what if we just open this up? You know, we could put doggy bags there and people, walk their dogs and like scoop up their stuff and like make it a place, a backyard for the whole, whole community, right? And what it means to, win, to use what you do have right, to win people over right, to God. I think this is what Jesus is talking about because that kind of stuff multiplies, right? When out of scarcity we give abundantly, God comes and makes abundant life. Amen? Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for being the great host, that you have a big heart for people, that you want to go to the highways and the byways, as you say in Luke, not just to invite the people who are rich or who can pay us back, but to invite the destitute and the poor and the hungry to the party, to the banquet. And we want to participate um, in that mission and what you're doing. We want to create, foster uh, communities of renewal. As you have renewed us and you have given us life, we want to be about giving life back um, to our neighbors, to our neighborhood. And so... Uh, radical generosity, radical giving um, is one of the ways you teach us to let go of loving money and serving you uh, for the good of the world. In your name we pray. Amen.